<laughs> that was perfect. So each week, <laughs> each week, our, I, I don't care what the audience says. Uh, I think each week uh, our intro gets better. I think we get a little more relaxed and we get a better flow going. Hopefully we keep that flow going through uh, episode five of the podcast where we discuss strength. If you didn't listen to episode four, where we discuss concurrent training, listen to that first. We explain generally how we can take on more than one training variable at a time and improve more than one training characteristic at a time. Maybe not as well uh, as we would just one piece at a time, but we talk about the importance of taking on and improving multiple uh, general fitness characteristics concurrently. And today we're diving into the first characteristic and explaining it in more detail, and that is the fitness characteristic of strength. We'll discuss general strength, we'll discuss relative strength, and we'll also discuss absolute strength. We're going to define our terms first before we jump into physiology, but just know if this topic isn't up your alley, though I highly doubt it, uh, we'll also be talking about specific strength and speed and uh, muscular endurance in podcasts to come and how those fit into the concurring plan. Is concurring a word? Sounds fine. Into the concurrent training discussion. So Kyle, kick it off. How would you define general strength? Um, well, when I think about it, it's a three to six reps, uh, plus or minus one or two, I guess, uh, and the ability to produce force. So when you say plus or minus one or two, is that because otherwise you'd be getting into like a specific definition of one kind of strength? Kind of. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we're like holding things back. There's a lot to touch on today. Um, I like how you start when I think about strength. <laughs> it's the only way I'm the only one who does it. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we, we, we have to define our terms first because a lot of times when, when people hear about general strength, or even just specific strength, absolute strength. I think they all just get clumped into one category, but it's important to define our terms first. Um, what I think Kyle and I have realized most in our own training is that there seems to be a progression of not just from muscular endurance to uh, improving strength and then a one around, but there's even within this producing more force discussion, there is a progression. I think that's what we've improved in our own training and maybe in our mm-hmm. athletes' trainings as well. So we'll get into that that too. But um, Sobo, maybe just uh, uh, besides the gobbles, acknowledge that you're on the other end and that you have something to say about uh, the physiological adaptations to strength. Yeah, so I brought the turkeys today since we're recording this the, the day before Thanksgiving. Oh, I didn't even... <laughs> I didn't even realize. Oh, I, I just thought he liked it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, I tried to bring the turkeys in. Um, you know, for everybody who's listening, you know, Thanksgiving is tomorrow. If you're not listening to this today or whatever, this is before Thanksgiving. Um, so generally when we look at kind of the physiological side, we look at the ability to produce force. And so it can be multiple definitions like we'll dive into force over time and how long it works and and total work capacity and stuff like that. But traditionally you have um, a neurological input of strength and you have um, a structural um, morphological uh, changes that lead to strength. So if we think 
kind of a big thing is you have a motor unit, which is a neuron and a muscle fiber. So that's kind of what, that is simply how we make ourselves stronger is we change the adaptations within the nerve fiber or the muscle fiber. So if we look at the, the muscle fiber, primarily the train of thought or the, the school of thought right now is hypertrophy. So we just make those muscle fibers bigger. We can make them bigger by adding more sarcomeres and basically the, the, the small protein filaments that cause contraction. I'm not going to give a whole physiology lecture here today. But the, the units of our contraction are called sarcomeres. We may, if we have more of those, we have more units that contract. In theory, we, ha- we are stronger, so we can get more of those. We can get more connective tissue within our muscle, which makes that muscle stronger. Just think about if you have one cable and you have two cables, you're stronger. Your cables can support more, more, load, more load if you have two rather than just one. So that's kind of what's happening, what's happening morphological. There is some school of thought that we have hyperplasia, that we actually add more units of muscle fibers. Um, that's kind of still not yet proven in science, but there's a thought that we do that. So there's this idea that we actually produce more contractile properties of a muscle. So that's kind of what's happening at the muscle level. And then that in theory and kind of in practice leads to more strength. So if you have more muscle, you probably are stronger. Um, and then if you look kind of, I call it kind of upstream away from the muscle back to the central nervous system, you have the big neurological system, which is a complex you know, world of, of science, but we've kind of narrowed it down to about three main things that help us get stronger. We recruit more motor units. So we normally innervate one kind of motor unit. Now we can innervate two or three and two or three is always greater than one. So we're going to produce more force, more force that way. The second one is we increase firing rates. So we increase the amount of stimulus to that muscle fiber. So the more stimulus um, creates more force. And then finally, we recruit them all in synchronization. So you recruit a lot of motor units, you recruit them fast and rapidly and with a lot of frequency. And then lastly, you recruit them all together. Um, And if you think about it, it's the best way to kind of picture this in your head if you're a visual learner is neurologically think you have three drums and you want to hear the loudest beat you can hear and you hear one drum just being hit and you're like, oh, that's not very loud. You hear two drums being hit, but they're not being hit together. Then you hear three drums being hit pretty rapidly, but not in sync. But then you hit, finally, if you hit all three drums at the same time with one loud boom, then you hear the loudest you know, sound, and that's kind of the loudest or the strongest contra- contraction of your body. So <clears throat> if you take all that together, this you know, quick five-minute physiology lesson, if you can add all this together the morphological adaptations in your muscle, the neurological adaptations, in in any combination, there's an infinite amount of combinations that you can put together that leads to strength gain. So you may early on change some neurological things, you know, maybe increase the amount of uh, rate that you're innervating these neurons. And then you might see morphological adaptations later. So then your nervous system kind of scales back because now muscularly you're stronger so you don't need to have that same rate but then when you increase the demand that rate goes back up causes more adaptations and so this this process is ever evolving so you can constantly get stronger and change up the stimulus so 
we don't really have a finite saying that this leads to strength because we used to think if you had more muscle, just pure more muscle, you can contract, you you would be stronger. Well, we're finding out that there are some pretty really strong people who don't have a lot of muscle size and they're actually at, they have better adaptations neurologically. So their nervous system is driving their, their strength. Well, then we have people who are just have really big muscles who are larger individuals who are just generally stronger because they just have more muscle. So physiologically, it's a very complex thing that is very good that it's complex because that allows for constant adaptation in your body so that by definition of strength to produce more force, you have multiple, multiple different avenues of producing force, not just, you know, I got to get my muscle size bigger. Well, no, you can do that. You can change the way your body recruits muscle fibers, how it innervates muscle fibers and how it does that. So to the ability to produce force is kind of an untapped resource and an untapped kind of stimulus that we probably won't ever truly maximize. So if we take this general idea that our nervous system is as much a part of the scenario in terms of force production as is your connective tissue, and that there is seemingly some type of hybrid between these systems that contributes to produce maximal, or sorry, contributes to produce more force over time, we can begin to think of these examples of perhaps the bodybuilder who can put together a heavy set of eight, and we'll talk about relative strength, uh, who might just visibly appear much bigger in muscular size versus the 69 kilo weightlifter who doesn't carry a lot of muscle, but can perhaps squat uh, as much, if not more than that bodybuilder uh, on the absolute side of things. I think those two examples, when held up side by side, uh, just simply speak to the fact that this is a multifaceted discussion, specifically tying together, as Sobo mentioned, two systems, primarily our nervous system and uh, our, our musculoskeletal system. Uh, we'll uh, talk first about relative strength. We're going to discuss what exactly it is and who might benefit most from having more relative strength than, say, maximal strength, if you want to cover this one. Uh, actually, so you were talking about this before, uh, the podcast, do you want to start with the relative strength? Okay. So when you think relative strength, there's two, two relative strengths you can think of. First one is relative to your body weight. So how well can you move your body weight? Somebody who can do 20 pull-ups has a better relative strength to their body weight than somebody who can do 10, right? Cause you're basing it off body weight and body weights changes for everybody, but we all have to move our body, so your relative uh, strength towards your body weight is a really good indicator. You know, they always say that you know if you can't do ten pulls with your body weight, that's probably something you should be able to do because that's a good relative measure. And then there's another way that you can say relative to your max. So this takes kind of your body weight out of it and then compares you to your maximum strength. So you know, I was giving uh, Kyle and Zach the example earlier that if I'm a 200 pound you know, bench presser and somebody is, that's my max and somebody's only 180, but then my 80% is 160 and I can only do that, you know, 10 times, but then somebody who's can bench press 160, their 80%, they can do 15 times. 
their relative strength is better than mine because if we base it off a percentage of our overall max, then they are a stronger relative. And for sports like CrossFit, relative strength actually plays a huge role in competition because most people have the same weight. So it's not like, oh, if you're a 300-pound cleaner, your your thruster is going to be with 225. And if you're only a 100-pound cleaner, your thruster is going to be with, you know, 125. So if it's stuck at 95 pounds, that's going to be really light for somebody who's really strong. And it could be heavy for somebody who is really light. But if that heavy person can't do a lot of reps with a percentage of their max, but that person who doesn't have a strong max, but can do 95% of their max for a lot, like with the thruster, they're better off in that situation. So when you're thinking concurrent strength training and training for your sport, is it scaled? Is it a relative weight? Is it the same weight? So there's kind of two ways you can look at it is do I improve my max so that my relative to that max is better? So I know that I have to do a 315 deadlift for 20. Well, if I can deadlift 500 pounds, relative, that's pretty light. But maybe I can't deadlift. I can only deadlift 330. So 315 is you know, 95 plus percent of my max. So maybe I can get better at doing a higher percentage of my max relative to my max. Then I can get stronger. So it's kind of what are your needs as an athlete? And if that relative strength is important, and I would claim that in a lot of CrossFit, that's important. A lot of you know football, that's important. A lot of kind of your normal sports relative strength is very important because very little do we go hit that maximal level. You know, in CrossFit, yeah, they hit maxes every once in a while, but a lot of it you do you are doing a relative weight either to everybody else or to yourself for a lot of reps. Like think football, you you're if you're an offensive lineman, you're gonna be blocking the three hundred pound D lineman or two hundred and eighty pound D lineman over and over again. So you gotta be able to handle that load constantly and it could be a 95% of your your max or it could be 30% of your max but if you can handle it relatively you're you're stronger speaking so um i think a good question off of that would be earlier you were speaking about the the adaptations and the factors affecting strength uh for something like if someone's looking to improve relative strength what kind of adaptations would they be seeking there so with relative strength, you'd probably see a lot more neurological adaptations, just your body getting more efficient at producing that relative force. So our body is extremely smart and how, how efficient it is. So if it knows that it can only recruit 10 motor neurons to produce that force, it's only going to recruit those 10 and it's going to you know preserve the other ones. So the better you are at a relative strength, your neurological adaptations might be far greater than, you know, just your pure, you know, hypertrophy or your, your musculoskeletal adaptations. And, um, I think a a good example is, is kind of like, uh, we're talking about strength here, but if you think about someone who movement economy of running, like people, uh, one of the adaptations you get from that is that they get really good at being efficient and using the least amount of energy across a long distance. Yeah, that would be that'd be kind of the a way to look at a relative strength over time. I think, and this might be jumping the gun, but in talking about these neurological factors of strength, I think that 
it warrants a discussion of discussing strength, whether it's maximum, relative, specific, um, as a skill. It's something that we have to practice. And I think that a problem that people make is that when they don't have a plan, let's just say they have been doing sets of 12 or maybe even higher. They're a CrossFitter. They might not even be on a strength plan, but then one day, that's the day they max. Mm -hmm. They don't have the skill because skill involves uh, the type of motor learning and recruitment uh, and synchronization, and synchronization, all of these factors that Sobo spoke about earlier, uh, necessary to express the strength to its best potential, just by simply throwing a one RM on the board, saying, "Well, I haven't checked in a long time." And there's an overemphasis on that end of the spectrum so versus it's, the multi rep. Great point. It seems that if people are not doing uh, multi reps uh, or even just like crazy endurance reps in CrossFit. Um, not crazy as in it's crazy to do that, but just very high volume, um, to then jump into the one RM is just an expression of your strength. It's not developing strength, uh, and it's not spending the time developing the skill required. That would be from the skill of walking heavy weight out of a rack in a squat to the skill of timing the squat to the skill of getting tight, getting tight under load, whether it's a squat, a lift, a press, et cetera, or, or even just think of all of weightlifting as a skill and producing, I mean, that's getting more into uh, speed, but there is, because it's a, as much a discussion of the nervous system as it is musculoskeletal system, I think we, we ought to talk about skill or at least, at least worth mentioning. And, you know, if we do talk about skill, we might just want to mention how it, if you're looking for a better way to do it, to not just test your 1RM, maybe you spend a little bit more time before you go for that heavy single with sets of six or five or four or three and maybe run a couple of cycles of those weights. It could range between 70 to 80%. Practice really good, consistent technique. Um, and then after that phase of time, sure, go ahead and test the 1RM. But testing the maximal strength without the skill could be lost fitness. Yeah. Well, I think I think that it's like you were saying about people just jumping in and doing a one RM, and I don't think there's you know there's probably not uh, everyone's doing that. I a think lot I'm, of people do that. <laughs> I do think there, there's enough information out there though that maybe people it's not as often as it it used to be. Um, maybe, but you know. People think that to get a new 1RM many times, they have to just use the heaviest weights possible. Mm -hmm. uh, really, if you're trying to build that skill, it's about doing stuff maybe under less fatigue mm -hmm. uh, with good movement quality. And it may not feel as hard as it should, but it's still allowing you to practice the, the skill itself. And Sobo gave the example, uh, I think this was in the second or first episode, uh, about muscle-ups. Um, where you don't necessarily want to do them in a wad uh, at high intensity, but you can practice them under a little fatigue if you do like, I don't know, like a, a salt bite sprint before and then go up and do a muscle up. Like it still allows you to get very quality movements, uh, and but you're not like dying under the reps, if yeah. that makes sense. This just, I thought about this and I want your guys' feedback 
Um, maybe it's just me that feels this way, but it's as though uh, people spend so much time uh, on the foundational technique and there's so much excessive cueing around like how to do a squat mm-hmm. and how to do a deadlift. But they only apply it to the high intensity. But they only, well, they only apply it to like lighter loading or, or just oh, yeah. the multiple rep. It's it's end of the spectrum. Ends of the spectrum. It's not like practicing the technique with what you need to get stronger. So it, it yeah. seems as, and then what I, what I think and what we do, I, we keep the cueing uh, for the skill very simple, especially with lightweight as we introduce movements to people who are new to the strength training or reintroduce after injury. But then where we, I think, spend uh, a little bit more emphasis is on how we want to keep have our athletes keep their skill the same mm-hmm. under heavier loads, where I think commonly we see people trying to change so much that they don't actually get to express the skill and then they don't get to express the strength. Um, so if you can think about your practice with your snatch and clean and jerk, similar to your practice uh, of your squat or your deadlift under heavier loads, as being similar, it could probably do you good from a uh, nervous system side of this equation uh, of strength. So, but yeah, gonna so, wait. so let me, yeah, just, I'm just going to chime in real quick about that. So one good thing is treat every warm-up set, every set, as it would be your max. So like lock in, focus, don't just say, oh, this is, you know, 65%, I can just put my head under the bar and put on my back and do a quick set of five. No big deal. Like treat every set like it's a max. I mean, I'm not saying you got to do smelling salts and grunt and smack yourself every time, but, but you know, lock in mentally. Cause if you can drive that motor program to your legs in a squat and to your back and to your core to stay tight, that programming gets locked in. And therefore now, it's easier for your body to recall that during a max and and during a fatigue set. Like, you know, they you know, there's the old saying that practice makes perfect. Well, it's perfect practice makes perfect, right? You can't just practice sloppy technique and then expect to just turn it on, you know, when the lights are on and it's time to hit a heavy jerk to be able to hit perfect a heavy jerk. So, like focus and lock it in cuz that neurological component I would claim is vastly the huge reason why you get stronger and if you're doing a work set i mean think about this if you do something 10 times in a in a work did you get better like if you if you brush your teeth 10 times would you be the best teeth brusher in the world like think about that repetitiveness if you can kind of still sets with your warm up sets by locking in instead of saying i only did you know, two sets of eight of working sets. Well, if you did warm ups, you really got in some really good neurological stressors, not counting the, you know, the muscular stress that you put on your body. And I think that also speaks to while we're on this side of the nervous system versus musculoskeletal system talk uh, of visualization, right? We've, we've seen there've been studies that look at how visualizing a, a heavy lift and this might lead into our discussion of maximal strength and defining maximal strength, but how visualizing that lift uh, works better than having no visualization practice at all. So just as you are rehearsing the same technique with 60%, though not yet at the 
smelling salts and trap slaps, et cetera, you are uh, kind of just visualizing what that looks like, producing the same technique each time. Um, so cool. Let's, let's talk about maximum strength a little bit more. Um, because we spoke about the importance of relative strength for a CrossFitter, even though they do need to have, uh, some maximum strength, though certainly not as much maximum strength as a power lifter or as a, uh, weightlifter. But so, if you can talk a little bit more about, um, what maximum strength is and are its physiological, uh, adaptations different than, uh, what one would have to do to get better relative strength or would the training look slightly different so the the maximum strength is just you know purely the maximum weight you can do with that certain lift or that certain exercise so you know you think of your lifts or your sports that require a pr or a maximum lift so your your olympic weightlifting who you have your clean and jerk and your snatch where you your goal is to do the maximum you can that day or same thing with powerlifting, the maximum bench or squat or deadlift you can do that day. So those sports require a maximum. And when you're looking at a maximum adaptation, this really switches. And a lot of people are going to kind of say, wait a minute here. This is going to put a huge load on the connective tissue of your body. So think about just the tension that your body's producing to lift a maximal weight. A lot of times at a maximal lift, we have what we call GTOs or uh, the Golgi tendon organs. And I'm going to get on a little physiology rant here. But they, they monitor the tension produced by our muscle. And so they're kind of like the, the brake men of our body. So if our m- muscles are producing maximal force, these little guys are just monitoring that in the tendons and saying, hold up, hold up, Zach. This is this is 500 pound deadlift. We don't know if we can handle this, so we're going to be on the cautious side, and we're actually going to neurologically shut you down. So they actually have a neurological inhibition where they turn off the muscle being contracted to reduce tension on it. So at that maximal level, you actually might be trying to produce it. You might be, you know, grunting, and here's your slap in the you know trap and smelling salts. But you actually your your nervous system at that muscle level the gto might say all right stop cool it turn it off this is too much so if we make our connective tissue and our tendons and our and our the the connective tissue within our muscles stronger that will actually kind of inhibit the gto and actually tell the gto we can handle this weight so now that when we handle this weight our nervous system can now adapt so it's kind of like this it's, you know, what came first, the chicken or the egg, or is it the cart and the horse? Does does our tendons get stronger? And then our GTO tells our body we can lift more, and so we can. Or does our GTO say we can lift more, and then our tendons get stronger? So it, it becomes more of a, a whole kind of circular thing that we have this neurological drive that's inhibited by our GTOs. Our GTOs say we can get stronger, our tendons get stronger, we get stronger, we lift more of a load. The the cart and the horse? Yeah. You never heard that before? I might be just, you know, old school. Western cowboy thing? <laughs> yeah. Not only is uh, Eric a, a swole scientist, but he's also part cowboy. Um, well, so yeah, and, and, and an example uh, of the GTO's 
kind of being overridden by the musculoskeletal system would be like if someone uh, threw a, a car on top of Kyle and I got freaked out and I like showed super mom strength and ripped the car off Kyle. That's basically what happens when the GTOs are put into, uh, I guess, not overdrive. They're actually being turned off. Um, or when you hear about people have boulders like fall on them and they throw it off. Uh, but the side of that story you don't hear about is usually their connective tissues <laughs> gone to shit. They like grade three strains and sprains everywhere, but their body had to do it because there was this crazy surge of adrenaline. Um, and so now, that, that inhibition by the GTO allows for you to push stronger. So then allows for your neurological system to recruit all those motor units in synchronization you know, with a rapid, you know, frequency and then boom, there's your, your massive throw the car off Kyle. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm alive, which we'd all do. Um, I, I have a question. So if you, if, if we think about, okay, we have these GTOs that can protect us. We're not in control of them though. Um, though there seems to be this connection between having adrenaline and producing maximum strength, hence the trap slaps and the salts. Um, is there, a degree sobo to which we can manipulate adrenaline or train that? Would you even want to train that? Would it be unsustainable or insustainable to even get to that level, if not in competition, to have that surge of adrenaline to help you produce the most force possible on a maximum level? I mean, if you want to try to ch that day to day, I would say that's probably not the best because those adaptations that you need, I mean, connective tissue takes a while to, to rebuild and lay down those collagen fibers. So, I mean, if you are constantly overloading that musculoskeletal system, you're not allowing for that connective tissue to catch up. You know, so real, and in reality, we, we have about a 20% reserve of how much strength we can produce, but you don't want to keep dipping into that because our body isn't ready for it. So as you train and put more load on your body, your connective tissue adapts and as your connective tissue adapts, then the load can be increased. So to like artificially stimulate this on a weekly or day-to-day -day basis, I would say that you're looking towards the, the risk of higher rate of injury because you're not allowing for your body to, to cause adaptation. Does that uh, also speak to the importance of technique? Um, so like, let's say if you had a back squat, for example, uh, someone may be able to push through uh, a heavy load, but they're shifting really into their using their back. They're rounding a little bit, and they can still finish a lift, uh, but it's probably not going to lead to the best adaptations as if you were able to stay upright uh, in your quads uh, with a tall chest. Correct? Yeah, and, and and when you shift that weight, did you just put a load greater on the body in that position? then it's trained to handle because mm -hmm. you haven't trained in that compromised bent over position. And now you got 450 pounds on your back in that position. And now the connective tissue in your body's not used to that. And you wonder why you wake up the next day and your back's just killing you. Well, hopefully they're not doing that all the time, but yeah, I mean, the goal is you want your, your training stimulus and your maximum output should look the same. I mean, go watch the Olympics and watch those guys, their warm-up sets look just as good as their 
you know, when they're on the platform. It's just there's a whole lot more weight on the platform than in their warm-up sets. I mean, they, they do that that motor program is set and they are they are locked and loaded on that. So you you really don't want to deviate too much from what your body has been has gotten used to in training. But you cool. do see that you do see that with the deadlift and people start to do the back and everything. So now um, you spoke Sobo before we started about uh, general strength, uh, not really in terms of uh, its definition, but just the characteristics of. We spoke about relative, maximal. We maybe jumped the gun uh, before we went to maximal. Maybe should have discussed general beforehand. But how, in your mind, is uh, general strength different than maximum and relative strength? So, in 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 general strength, for me is. Can you perform the movements and those movements under a load that allows for you to to perform the exercise? So, or in life in general strength. So, if you can't pick up a gallon of milk, you don't have general strength. If you know you can't pick up a you know a case of beer from the bottom shelf and you throw out your back, you probably don't have general strength. There's or if you can't rake your yard or swing a sledgehammer and pound a stake into the ground. Like there are some general strength things that you should be able to do. And then if you want to put that in kind of a gym scenario, I mean, you should be able to squat, you know, certain, you know, and I'm not going to get into the percentage. I know Zach knows those, but there's, there, you know, you should be able to squat. You should be able to squat. I mean, you, you, I mean, you're not going to squat 5,000 pounds, but you shouldn't be able to just squat the bar. I mean, there should be some form of functional movement with, load on the body that you can produce and that's just general strength that's what i i would define it as yeah and i think about it as this strength that um seemingly was uh, not popularized but maybe like repopularized because you used to see this with old power lifters and bodybuilders of them lifting cars or odd objects and we spoke a lot about creating movement patterns that are uh, you know the same for the barbell at all times in order to best produce maximal strength, but just, and, and I even think there's some, uh, carryover of, uh, conditioning characteristics, uh, to this discussion. Um, but the ability to perform odd object lifts, I believe falls into this discussion, the ability to, uh, you know, perform a task in the real world and not, like Eric said, be be wrecked from that task. Uh, it's still a discussion of force development, but I also think it goes uh, into this discussion of specificity versus being a generalist, how we're talking about concurrent training ultimately, and this involves a more general type plan. Um, and in the gym, it would just look like moderate intensities at moderate volumes, pretty much. Exactly. So, you know, it, we, we mentioned roughly that, that 70 to 80% if we're getting into like progressing an athlete, let's say an athlete is doing uh, sets of eight and uh, we want to refine their technique. We might go through some, uh, as Kyle just said, these moderate loads might be 70 to 80%, anywhere three to six reps. So there's many different ways to define general strength, but it, it does, uh, in our opinion, kind of involve this discussion of function and of just general, 
uh, I don't want to say fitness capabilities, but um, real life capabilities. Uh, we, as I mentioned, have been talking about concurrent training in the larger scheme of things. Oh, I, was just, I, 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 I might have spoken too soon. I was just going to, um, I think Zach was going to move on to a different uh, subject, but I think a good conversation would be how each of these three support one another. Okay. So how yeah. relative can help general, how general strength can help maximal strength and uh, vice versa, how maximum can help improve general and how general can help improve relative. Well, so I think one area that we already touched on last episode was how if you have the power lifter or weightlifter who can produce tremendous amounts of maximal strength relative to, say, their competitive field, but they've never spent time in that general strength range, then, or even we'll get into this in podcasts to come, but that muscular endurance range, then they won't be able to develop that time of, for improved relative strength. Mm-hmm. And as you improve relative strength, you can work technique, you can get good muscle mass. So for the power lifter, it does benefit to have more relative strength for these purposes of a periodized plan of undulating uh, volumes and intensities. And I, I think, uh, hopefully I explained this correctly, um, and Sobo kind of went into it already, already, and Sobo, you can stop me if you feel I'm going down the wrong track, but when he was talking about kind of the connective tissue versus the neuromuscular um, output, um, max, maximum strength uh, loads and reps. So like, let's say, for example, one through three are good at doing more of the neuromuscular system, but very hard on the tendons. So if you did that, or the connective tissue, so if you did that uh, exclusively, um, you would never really get the best uh, connective tissue adaptation, where uh, relative strength and general strength are better for uh, those areas, for the connective tissue, so that it allows you, when you get into maximum strength, to then train the neurological system uh, better and made the connective tissue better, so that way uh, everything's stronger. And then after a period of time of doing the neurological system again, you go back to kind of like these other areas and it's also putting on muscle mass in the in the general and the relative strength, and that's that's kind of where you go in that back and forth to improving one aspect of strength, and then uh, as that one uh, maintains, you improve the other aspect of strength, and then back and forth, back and forth, and you kind of like like you were saying, undulate and wave this throughout the year, uh, as opposed to just doing one. Uh, uh, all the time is yeah. that is that yeah that correct? Well, yeah, that just that just brought like this idea that there's concurrent strength within con- concurrent training, which is within strength. Like, yes. you know, we, we concurrent, we talk about, you know, aerobic and, and strength, but what about the different components of strength? And like, if you are only focusing on one, you're completely negating the adaptations of the other. That helps support that one. Yeah. That helps support. I mean, they're all, they're all interwoven, but if you've only focused on one, you may have really strong, you know, muscles, but really weak tendons and have no neurological drive. So all your, all your strength is just coming from the active contraction of your muscles and, it, and you haven't maximized your neural control of that and your tendons might be lacking. I mean, we see that, and this is going to be kind of a rabbit hole, but we see that with people who use performance enhancing drugs that they're, they get these huge morphological changes in their muscles but their tendons and everything. They get, yeah. But their tendons and their nervous system are playing catch up 
and then you see you know injuries because my muscle can produce two times as much force but that happened in three weeks and it's going to take months for my tendons to catch up and then i try to do a maximal lift and my tendons give out but my muscles are still strong enough so if you are only focusing on one aspect of strength you are letting the other ones down that could benefit you to improve your maximal strength I think- so you can't just put yourself in one one room and just go there and you know this gets into uh, an interesting discussion that we all had over lunch not too too long ago and Kyle and I were saying well but it has to go from endurance to quote unquote hypertrophic rep ranges to like general strength speaking one to six in a specific order Though, you know, recent evaluations of periodi- uh, periodized plans or like actual, uh, you know, just all periodization literature under closer uh, analysis or with a more finely toothed comb run over it seems to show some uh, flaws to where we can actually begin to realize, okay, well, maybe it doesn't have to be uh, as truncated. It can be this matrix of interwoven um, reps and sets and loads all within the same category, mm-hmm. and this category being strength. So whereas we might used to have not programmed strength during this hypertrophy cycle for our, our, our own athletes and in our own programming, we might now have, say, a back squat for a set of twos and threes. And then a safety bar squat or a front squat for fives or sixes uh, for the reasons that we've just mentioned. And we've seen pretty good success with that. And when you realize that this ancient literature and these 30, 40 year old scientific reviews may not be as, uh, as accurate uh, or as thorough as we once thought, you can begin to experiment a little bit more and begin to mix these fitness characteristics uh, at a greater level than you had previously thought. Well, I think uh, where a lot of it also comes from is they research what's optimal for the characteristics. So if you were just a weightlifter, like what's optimal to produce the most weight or or to move the most weight in the bar. Uh, And what, what we're talking about is not necessarily what's optimal for one specific fitness characteristic, but how, that and no training them all t- together. And that doesn't mean like you're doing a five by one, three by five, five by 10 all at the same time. You're still fluctuating or emphasizing uh, a general or maximum or relative across months in a year. It's just that there can also always be one aspect of each. And it, while it may not be like um, in scientific terms, optimal for each uh, uh, area of strength, they can each also, uh, over a longer period of time, uh, do very well together. Like it's like, yeah, I mean, that's, and I just, we're talking about like science and optimal, like you're looking at some of the longest studies with strength trainer, like 12 to 16 yes. weeks. Yeah. yeah. And we're talking, we're trying to train you for the long term. So yeah, if you need to get stronger in eight weeks, yeah, the best way to do it is to go on a pure strength block period. Mm-hmm. After eight weeks, what are you going to do? Like, if you want sustainable training long term, you have to weave this all together because, okay, yeah, 
if I do volume, I'm only going to gain two pounds on my max. But if I do, you know, high high reps or high intensity, low reps, you know, one or two two sets, yeah, I'll get stronger and put 15 pounds on my squat. That's better than the two pounds if I did volume. But what's going to happen, you know, eight months down the road if you're still trying to do that? So it's the sustainable model is not going to give you this instant gratification that a pure strength block will give you, but it will give you longer term progression. And I think that's what you have to think about. You know, even if we dealt with somebody who has just signed up for an Olympic meet January 1st and they wanted to PR, we'd probably lean more toward a strength block to, so they could PR. Mm-hmm. But if we wanted to train them long term, we would kind of incorporate some of these other aspects of strength in it. Yeah. And then e- even then though, based on the literature, so but what what would you guess would be the difference of putting someone on this mixed matrix type strength program versus the absolute strength program for that that for a short goal, time frame. For that short time frame. Well, like if, if you were to guess, and let's just say it's to improve the squat. We've we've spoken a lot about the squat already. What do you think that difference would be so this is this is uh this is what i I was actually really upset about something like this yesterday i was reading literature and research is going to tell you a lot of things they're going to tell you a lot of of things that you want to hear but if you look at the true results and you say okay i did a strength training block i did an endurance block and i did a mixed model block and the strength and block improved five percent the Endurance group improved improved three percent, and then the mixed model group improved four percent. They're going to say for maximum benefit, you want to do the strength approach. Well, it was one percent better yeah. than your mixed model approach. So, what I mean, what is that? Four pounds, five pounds, six pounds? I mean, depending on how strong you are. So it's like, so I wrecked my body to gain six extra pounds or four pounds, however strong you are, or I could do this mixed model approach and get just as benefit and not be beat up. doing heavy work. And then, and then after your deadline or whatever, you would be better set up to continue to training. continue. Yeah. You would, you would be better off. You wouldn't, after your eight weeks of this block, you wouldn't be like, I cannot do, you know, what I'm trying to do. Like I love Windler's five, three, one, but that's not sustainable because that will just wreck you. Well, I, I think it's important to talk about this. So, you know, you, you you have these squat programs that people follow. You have these training programs that people purchase and they just run through them. And and this, this is a larger discussion of concurrent training where if they take on these programs and what we're talking about here, we believe that we're adding a lot of value to y'all's program in terms of context. We're hopefully taking a lot of things you've heard and providing a good uh, context for it. Um, but if you take, let's just say a five, three, one and put it on top of your comp train, there, these programs, this five, three, one is not meant to be done with comp trains. Small of is not meant to be done with invictus competitive or, programs. You don't even have to say like, because those are pretty intensive programs, but just other things just in general. Even other things. Yeah. yeah I, I don't I don't even have to be giving these exaggerations. It's just anything. Yeah. So you will get crushed if you try to take on these programs, run them in the long term while doing other things. There is a time and a place, as we've mentioned, there's context for everything. If 
I did, and like we've said, you should, you should experiment. So one thing that we've mentioned is, okay, well, what if with low stressors and really great sleep and a food surplus, we did Bulgarian. And that was just like the, the biggest goal was to improve a squat using Bulgarian method. And you have all the, the um, factors outside of the gym to control for. Let's push for it. But you'd have to drop off almost every other goal that you have. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the context that we don't really believe is out there for people. That's just why they're just kind of jumping and choosing and mixing and matching. While you can mix and match, it, there are these examples that just won't work or won't, won't work on a given timeline. And I actually liked uh, what someone commented here on our uh, Instagram, the man of steel zero one, that optimal for a deadline and optimal for life are, are different. Uh, but it seems that, uh, even, um, with the deadline, it's not that much of a difference and yeah. which is, I think a really cool, uh, thing to learn. Uh, and then, well, I mean, if, if is your deadline going to kill you? Like, yeah. or, you know, like how so for, for, for an Olympic lifter and you got a peak for the Olympics, your deadline's pretty solid. Yeah. But and your life, if, if you're a normal person and you PR by five pounds, the next meet, and you, if you would, in killing yourself getting to ten pounds on a PR, is it worth it? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think this is, and we're going to go more uh, into this in later episodes, uh, specifically about strength training. Uh, this one is just kind of an overview of these these terms, uh, but that this is where like things like, um, like Zach was saying, the context, like a needs analysis of the athlete, uh, their goals, uh, the, the characteristics of the sport. Um, just who they are in general, their training history. That this is where all of that really comes into play, uh, because there's really there's there's so many ways to do things, and it's just the individual that really makes you pick which way you're going to do it mm-hmm. and what they're doing and all that other stuff. Yeah. Um. So yeah. And I, I and more generally speaking, if you know that these different variables of strength uh can be trained concurrently then and you know why you would do one versus the other or what the um, distinguishing factors are of one versus the other you don't have to know them the physiological adaptations yeah uh but if you want to know them i can talk about them if you, I, I i know how we adapt to each one physiologically so if you really want to know you can call so though uh, or attend uh Campbell University, um, or we'll make a specific podcast about, or that. we'll make a specific podcast. Yeah, if you do want to know, uh, just let us know. But if you understand the basic ways to uh, apply them in your training, then you no longer have to look for like the squat program online. Mm-hmm. You can say, all right, well, if absolute, if maximal strength is this one to three rep, ninety percent and above. Okay, well, we'll just put this here. And if we're training this more general strength, uh, 70 to 80, three to six reps, we'll put this on a different day, maybe as like a secondary piece. Mm-hmm. Um, we spoke about this A, B, and C model like Joe Ken does. Uh, you can go back and listen to that. But you, you become uh, better equipped to program without having to copy from other people and understand the outcome and how to get there. Or, yourself. Even, or even how to take uh, – programs and make them like your own as well or make them better yeah and um yes yeah, so do you have anything else you want to add sobo because i think we're 
the when when you are listening for our listeners out there and you're talking about strength i mean there's there's more than one way to do this and that's kind of the the idea is it's a, there's a holistic approach that we kind of you know follow and then there's very specific approaches that you know a lot of people follow as well so think what are my goals am i going as as my sport require an absolute strength am i trying to get a maximum lift or am I more a relative like a CrossFitter? Or am I kind of more of a generalist and I kind of want to be strong enough, but I want to be able to move my body weight pretty good and I want to be fairly strong and be able to do a Metcon or something. So think of your overall goals first and think about how strength is going to be incorporated in that. And you never want to just do one because you're you're missing pieces of the other. If all you're trying to go after is strength you're missing all the great adaptations that happen neurologically and morphologically with some of the higher volume stuff. So, yeah, I think that about wraps up this one. And in uh, future podcasts, uh, we're going to go more into the actual training variables of strength. And then in a podcast after that, we'll talk about actually implementing this all in a plan uh, and before going on to endurance. Can you, can you sign us off with some more gobbles? Oh man, I gotta I gotta pull up my gobbler again. <laughs> it is it is I don't know. It's Turkey Day. If we have I know we, we actually have some listeners from across the pond, so um they probably won't understand our, our crazy uh, obsession with turkey and stuff, but here's some more. There we go. <laughs> Thanks, All right, bye everyone. <laughs> have a good one.